Today my guest on the Songwriting for Songwriters podcast is Jim Cregan. Jim is a seasoned professional touring musician and songwriter. He's known for collaborating with Cockney Rebel, writing songs with Rod Stewart, playing with Katie Melua, Joe Cocker, Willie Nelson and Kid Rock, and many, 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 many more. That solo in Cockney Rebel, Come Up and See Me, that's Jim. That solo on I Was Only Joking, Rod Stewart, that's Jim. He also wrote Tonight I'm Yours with Rod, Hot Legs, and many, many more classics. He's an award-winning songwriter, and we have a fantastic chat about his songwriting, about guitar playing, about what the muse is, creativity, and much, much more. So please enjoy this podcast, subscribe, and go and check out Jim's website. Today, my Songwriting for Songwriters podcast, my guest is Jim Cregan. Jim, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm sort of uh, just... Uh, putting up with this beautiful uh, rainy summer summer weather but um, other than that I'm okay <laughs> thanks for being a guest now some of your um, well so you, you are you have created some of the most memorable and most loved mu- uh, moments in music and I you know I kind of fell in love with your guitar playing um, not knowing who you were as a kid really being driven up and down the country listening to Rod Stewart and uh, some mm. of your breaks and guitar solos are, are some of the kind of I mean, it's just magical playing and it's very kind of uh, very, very original, unique, sensitive and melodic guitar playing. So, first of all, thank you for for, uh, inspiring me as a guitar player and for those moments. But you're also a songwriter, which is um, what this songwriting podcast is all about. So my first question to you is, do you remember writing your first song and do you remember what it was called? Um, I can't remember what it was called, but I remember writing it at school. Um, I had a little band. I went to Paul Grammar School, and we had a band there called the Falcons, which was kind of a Shadows um, cover band, really. Or, or in, it was all instrumental. We didn't really sing. And that's only we had a PA. I think most of us all went through one M. Great. And uh, um, it might have been something called Sidetrack. I've, I've got a feeling that might have been the name. And um, it was instrumental. It was fairly horrible. But it set me on a path that, uh, that I've been on ever since, which is, you know, 60-odd years of it. So, um, yeah, I I didn't write uh, uh, very prolifically during the, the, my school years. Uh, I was busy kind of trying to learn how to play the bloody thing, you know. <laughs> that was, took most of my time. But um, I've been writing ever since, and I've, I've done... It's been uh, very good for me because... The, the the work comes and goes in terms of uh, touring or or session work, but the songwriting royalties go on forever and seventy years after I die, which is very handy. Yes, yeah, sure. I'll be my my children have promised to send the money to me in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And did you so do you remember? I mean, obviously you've been a guitar player and a musician musician in your own bands and and a uh, touring musician, but do you remember? kind of making a decision to commit to being a songwriter as well as being a musician? They just seem to naturally go hand in hand. Sure. Um, I don't know why that is. I know there are some lovely musicians who don't... Well, there's a funny kind of story to that because when I first started, when I first met Kevin Savigar, who still plays with Rod Stewart and is his musical director, he was coming out of the Royal College of Music yeah. We auditioned him, and he was incredibly good and a very nice young man of about, I don't know, 23 or something. And 
I said to him, "Well, we're going to you and I are going to be sharing a house in in Los Angeles when we when we go back to work." He's got the job because he was such a great player and a great guy. Um, I said, uh, "So we'll write. Well, we're there in this house because the, the grand piano in it." And uh, we said, "Oh, I don't know how to write." I said, "Of course you do." He said, "No, I don't. I've never written anything." Yeah. And I said, "Well, I mean, I know you're a schooled musician, and sometimes I've known that." Uh, school musicians uh, don't really know how to improvise. I, I've bumped into that occasionally. But I said, I'll tell you what, then I'll teach you. I'll teach you how to write. Uh, and so we sat down and we wrote a song, which would, it, would just the music, not the lyric, of a verse, chorus and bridge every day while we were in this house. And some of them were just absolute rubbish and some of them were good. Some of them made them onto Rod Stewart Records, some didn't. But it, it was an exercise in... Just a little bit of discipline, yeah. You know, I'm not terribly disciplined as a writer, although I can be. I don't, I don't enjoy that part of it. I, I like writing when I feel like it. Okay. But uh, Kevin, uh, and then went on to write with me loads of songs for Rod. I mean, he's now, we now out numbers that I've got about 30, 35 Rod Stewart cuts, but Kevin must have fifty because he produced the last two or three albums very successfully. And it was a co-writer with Rod on all those records. So God bless him, he's done very well. Fantastic. I mean, Rod Stewart for me is, was a, a massive influence growing up. I mean, his voice and uh, his songwriting and his co-writes, were, for me, just something he's able to access really heartfelt emotions and lyrics. So he was a huge influence on me growing up. Um, when Was he an influence on you before you met him? No, not really. Um, okay. I mean, I, I, I'd seen him and thought he was great, but um, no, I was um, I was already sort of a, a fully developed musician by the time Rod and I started to work together. I was about 32, yeah. and I'd been in some successful bands and, um, and, and I had a, a few covers. But, of course, it was, it was a huge step up in terms of... Uh, uh, exposure you get a lot of exposure if you're going to play with Rod and I did it for about on and off I took a break at one point uh but on and off for about 18 years or so um and we're still in fact I got a, I got a, an email from him today saying you know when are you coming round yes. you know? <laughs> so when you're writing then with with, with I mean I know you've written with uh, your own great songs and with other people but just for a second just to stay on the rod train um mm -hmm. When you're writing with him, what mm. role do you assume or what do you bring and what does he bring to that co-writing uh, relationship? Because it's such a um, beautiful thing, a, a long-term co-writing collaboration. And I'm just really interested to know how that works with you and him and what you bring, when you know to pull back. What's what's the kind of process and, and the relationship there? Well, that's a good question. Um, it does vary, but my favourite way to write with him is sitting there in the room with a guitar. And I play something, and and suggest I might suggest a melody. He might suggest the melody, but I'll, I'll just find something. I mean, it can be as most of the the good songs I think I've written have mainly been extremely simple. You know, it's just about the melody. Yeah. And I think of myself just as I think of myself more as a guitar soloist than a, than necessarily um, an, a, an a great rhythm player like Niles Rogers, who's yeah, he's just a killer. Yeah. I mean, but 
but I, I can I can take a solo without any trouble at all. It's a it's a strange um, ability that I have, and I will try. Well, I don't even try. I just play the bloody thing, and somehow yeah. I, I my phrasing or my um, my process of creating a, a melody. It, it, mem, I like memorable guitar solos, even though yeah. I'm a big fan of, of Eddie Van Halen's work and Jeff Beck's work, which you would have to be from Lambert, Hendrix and Ross to be able to sing those solos. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to hum one at the bus stop and people saying, oh, you're humming that solo from, from Up and See Me Make Me Smile. So I, I'm quite able to do that. And so I'm quite able to throw a melody into onto a chord change. Yeah. You know, I just have... I, I you know what it is. Everybody can do it. That's the truth of it. I just don't have any fear. I lost the fear of either making a fool of myself, yeah. which uh, I do on a regular basis. And and it, and I, I, I've likened songwriting, especially with a stranger, is to going into a room and getting naked. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's embarrassing and it's awkward. But if you don't do it, you're not really going to come up with the good stuff because. Unless you uh, are prepared to open your heart to the the, the stranger or the or the friend, you you won't reach the, the the real good stuff, which is the authenticity of the idea. And it can be so simple, yeah. you know. It can be don't worry, be happy. I mean, mm. what a great song that is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's so simple, uh, but just so heartfelt. And he does. I mean, that's a that's a good example of how simplicity and honesty can make a hit. I think you're right. I think. Um, I mean, just to, to to go back on something you were saying about your guitar playing is extremely melodic. It's quite rare. Like you said, there's shredders, and there's people that can write a solo, but your playing always feels to me like it is. <clears throat> It is quite songwritery. It's quite. It's got its own melody and journey. And you said in an interview mm. that I read that for you, songwriting the, the most important thing. You're led by melody. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, Whenever I mean, you're this, in trouble. Yeah, this is yeah, kind of abstract for people that maybe don't understand songwriting. But for my, as a songwriter myself, melody will come very quickly, and it will be very instinctive, and it will be, mm. and it'll, it will arrive. How does melody happen for you? Does it just show up? Are you do you let it kind of go around your head a few times? And you know, how does it arrive for you? What's your because you've obviously got an instinct, and you're you said about your guitar playing that you're not afraid to just go and have that instinct, which is absolutely right. So where does it come from for you that melody, and how, how do you kind of nurse it or bring it into being? Well, um, well, first of all, I don't think I try not to think about anything because. I find that the more you think about stuff, the, the the further away you get from the essence. Yeah. So I I have a a, a philosophy which I have uh, uh, spoken to a few people about, um, and that is, for goodness' sake, don't disregard your first idea just because it's your first idea. Don't think this can't be any good because it's it came so easily and so quickly. That yeah. may be the best idea you're going to have. And just because you've pondered it and come up with several other versions, it doesn't mean to say they're better. They're just different. Yeah. So I'm a great fan of of diving straight in and attempting to to nail it right away. What what the, I mean, if I'm taking a guitar solo, I'm sorry to keep referring back to this, but if I take a guitar solo, 
if I don't get it in three goes, I'm going to stop. Correct. Because I won't be, I will no longer be playing from the heart. I'll be playing from the head. And that's that's not where I want it to be. Yeah. I mean, I can do that. I've, I've had occasion when I've been so stuck about how to get this solo down that I've sat down and worked it out and, and then learned it and played it. And I mean, they, they're quite successful in as much as they do the job. But they don't mean anything much to me because they're too... Um, what's the word? Uh, uh, contrived. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't like playing like that. I, I I love it when I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, that's actually I have to say that's probably the essence of any success I've had is that I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I just play, and yeah. and the same thing when I'm writing. You play maybe just any kind of chord, and and I, a melody will start. I mean, you've got you've got how many choices you got? You can sing a note the same. You can go up, you can go down, or you can be quiet. Yeah, those are your choices, all right? So, I'm quite often looking for um, a melodic interval that's interesting. Yeah. Now, this is not this is something I I I, I will analyze later. This will not be when I'm doing it. I'm just doing it. But I notice that um, intervals are very important. Like da dee da 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 da. da. I mean that first interval the octave jump is it an octave jump? yeah um that's incredibly powerful yeah uh i if guess take, if you take on, I, don't, I don't know if it's if you you or rod wrote this particular melody but it doesn't matter because it's that on the chorus of tonight i'm yours tonight i'm yours so do anything that you want i mean that that climb that yeah, that's that's me that's me and kev yeah it's fantastic like it's yeah. i mean i remember as a kid thinking jesus christ and and that that melody alone has really impacted my writing because what it does there is it opens up a whole universe of of kind of possibility for your imagination as you climb those steps it's it's okay. it's, you know, it's great okay yeah well um, there, there's also the idea uh, that you, between the chorus and the, I mean, these are tricks that you, you, you look at after you. Okay, so first of all, you have to have the, an open heart and an open mind in order to get to the beginning of it, the, the the start of the essence of the idea. But then after that, I mean, I'm not uh, adverse to tweaking and yeah. and looking at it and going, you know what, I could just put another couple of syllables in there. Yeah. So that we get, so there'll be more movement. Looking for movement in the melody is kind of important too. Yeah. So you 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 want. Um, I just did this. Funny enough, the, um, the song I'm mixing at the moment, I wrote with some American guys, and we wrote a chorus, and the chorus was too the too many long notes in it. It didn't pick up, and yeah. so I we, I rewrote the melody, and they rewrote the lyric, and. Um, and suddenly we've got like it's not like it's not I'm just, I'm I'm just giving you the scan of the the, the yeah. movement not yeah. the, it's not there's no resemblance to rap at all even though I, I can enjoy rap mm -hmm. um I don't write it actually that's not true I've written a rap song <laughs> I can you know I can turn my hand to anything if um if if I if I feel like it I mean I've written some some uh, popera you know um sung by uh, oh god i can't remember that now but i had an italian the classical tenor sing it and he actually did a much better job than the guy who actually sang it in the end russell watson you ever heard of russell watson 
yeah, yeah. He's a kind of one of those popular, um, sort of nice looking blokes who sings a bit of a tenor. But yes. he's actually, sorry, Russell, but it wasn't very good. <laughs> the demo was better. <laughs> I had a real Italian guy. So we had it translated into Italian because we thought it sounded bad. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> but do those melodies well, come from, do they, I mean, like, so you're right. I mean, the, as you said, what I like what you're saying is firstly, be open hearted, have an instinct, don't be kind of, um, you know, don't be embarrassed, let it be. As it, let what comes come to you. And then there is that kind of, um, and I know we're over analyzing and can tweak afterwards, but. A lot of people I've spoken to on this podcast, we've spoken about where does this come from? Now, the study of music and playing music and subconsciously listening to music where, you you know, one, the brain will soak in those influences. But a lot, I mean, I personally believe there's a kind of creative realm or force or something, which, because a lot of the stuff I mm. work with, it's way too, not to make myself, myself sound clever, because I'm not, but like, it will arrive and I go cry. I don't really know how that came about. And I could, it doesn't feel like the me, the craftsman, sitting down to write something. It feels like it's separate from me. It's come from somewhere else, although it's come through me. Oh what's, yeah. What's yeah. Your I, relationship? I, I, yeah. No, I, I'm I'm a hundred percent behind that thought process. Um, I think uh, what it, it, I suppose you would call it um, uh, some sort of spiritual force. Because pretty well every writer you ever talk to says the the idea just came to them and they've no idea where it came from, and yeah. that's that's the that's the good stuff right there. I mean, I can sit down and create. Uh, well, I guess because I've been doing it so long, I've got a lot of tricks in my bag that yeah. I can pull out, but I never want to. And that you know, those are for um, those are for later. I mean, yeah. it's a it's a bit like the architect drawing the the house or the building on a napkin in a restaurant, and then he takes that to his draftsman and yes. and they build something finished out of that. Yeah. But you, the the essence of the ideas do, I believe, either come from if you want to call it God, or come from any kind of spiritual force. But I I do believe that there are. Um, there are creative. For I mean, just just uh, I was thinking this just the other day about how when I grew up, we we, we didn't have a television in the house. Yeah, uh, there's no video. We listened to the radio a lot. Um, I spent all my time learning how to play the guitar. Uh, we played cards and we read books. And the idea that I Bluetoothed well, so so that I could um, listen to the television, I put in some. Uh, AirPods and Bluetooth the television sound to myself sitting in the living room so that the racket wouldn't disturb my daughter who was studying in the next room. Right. Right. I thought, this is unbelievable that I can do this. Pub with my, my wrist, you know. Okay. So, I mean, I'm, 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 and I'm amazed and delighted with, with these things that we can do. Yeah. But still, um, no matter what there is, the, the, the inspiration behind many of these things come, I think, from a source that is not necessarily um, quantifiable. Yeah. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a, a, a Christian by ethic, 
Yeah. I don't go to church. I, I have very little time for organized religion. Mm -hmm. But I do find that the having a spiritual life is um, seems normal to me. There's so many things that can't be explained. So I find it convenient to package those into uh, into a, a higher power. And sure. I guess that the songwriting uh, comes that way too. Yeah. And I don't really, you were asking me about what it's, what's it like to write with Rod. So sitting in the room with a guitar, that's the best way to do it. I have on a few occasions written things at, you know, and sent them to him. Yeah. But the trouble with that is you, you by, just by putting it down, you are committing a sound which may not be the sound that he's hearing in his head for, for the next bit of work. So I've listened to demos and I, and I get really annoyed by the fact that the singer's out of tune yeah. or that I hate the what they've done. They've got some keyboard on there, which is really wanky and annoying. And, and I, my, my focus goes to that instead of the song. Sure, I, sure. I'm much happier if somebody sends me a song with a vocal and guitar or a vocal and piano. Yeah, well, I think a good song, a good song idea needs to work very simply, doesn't it? You know, a lot of one of the things. Absolutely. That, one of the things I do religiously is uh, if I write a new song, even if it's ninety percent finished and I still need to, to change a few words, I will go and play it to an audience pretty quickly because I need to not because I need their feedback, but I need it to float in the air and I need to judge it or work on it from the position of it happening as well as, in a live circumstance, so I can kind of feel its shape in front of an audience. And a good song yeah. needs to work. That's so, good. You know, a song needs to work with piano and voice, guitar and voice. You know, it's it's because if it doesn't, I think you're in trouble of, like you said, sort of over processing it with sounds or whatever. So, you know, like anything, the best ideas are probably simple. Like you said, the best song ideas are simple. Yeah. Yeah, they are. I mean, that's not to say that a, a, a brilliant arrangement can't uh, uh, can't enhance a, a song. I mean, Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones together Absolutely. built some unbelievable stuff. I, I I never sat back and analysed whether um, it would have worked as a guitar vocal. I mean, things that are riff and dance driven don't necessarily qualify for this this kind of an, uh, analytical uh, thought. Mm -hmm. God, that was a complicated line, wasn't it? <laughs> but I, think it's, I mean, I'll have another sip of coffee. Maybe I'll get a better one than that. Contrary to that, though, like, you know, I agree with you because a lot of riff or dance based stuff is reliant on the groove, which is a whole different thing altogether. But when it comes to those melodies that Michael Jackson's melodies or whatever, or even disco melodies, the ones that have stuck around, those melodies can be sang a cappella and they are holding their own. You know, it's, it's, and it, it's, oh, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, they've got to. Absolutely. Yes, we are family. No, exactly. a sister sledge. Yeah. That's a quote. Yeah, there's loads of it. So your, your your early songwriting influences then you know who who were those people that um whose songs you sort of blew your mind growing up whilst you were learning, learning guitar who were the people that blew your head with their songs well i guess um for whatever reason i was caught up in the blues boom you know okay. so uh i would be listening to uh, john lee hooker and muddy waters and i think a bit like uh, how punk spoke to a certain generation because it was it was very easy to play um, yeah. and 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 the more out of tune you were, the better they liked it. Um, 
Uh, and the same with blues, although as you as you study the blues more and more, you realise how unbearably difficult it is to get it the way those guys get it. You know, it's because it's so much about what you don't play. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are certain notes that you should not use. There are certain scales you may not use. And, uh, and you know, like B.B. King can do with two notes what it takes um, Jeff Beck to do a hundred. And that, then that's not really putting Jeff Beck down. It's just that it's, it's just, yeah. it's just, you know, horses for courses. Yeah. But so I, I was in, uh, like a lot of guys, I was in a blues band. I loved it. I loved trying to play that one solo, that one chorus where you played everything just right. Yeah. You know, there were some masters. That Eric Clapton was a, was is quite masterful at that. And so and so was uh, Peter Green, who were great players. Um and so I suppose I was writing stuff like that to begin with. Then um then came the Beatles and they threw all the rules out the window. Yeah. And suddenly uh you could have these unusual chord sequences and and do all sorts of things that hadn't been done before. And and then I think they were a huge influence. Yeah. And then guys like James Taylor, I'm a huge James Taylor fan. Randy Newman. No, I haven't really thought about who, who my influence is. I, I don't know that I'm influenced by Randy Newman, but I, I listened to him. Uh, what's, that? God, what's that song? He does one with Valerie Carter. Oh, yeah, it's called Sailing Shoes. Look, it's only on YouTube. Look it up when this podcast's over. Sailing Shoes, Valerie Carter and Randy Newman. It is absolutely staggeringly good. And it's it's the Lau George uh, track, you know, Lau George and Little Feet. Um, it's, it's wonderful. Um, I'm, I'm influenced by those guys, again, because the, the amount of emotion you're getting off the, the, the you know, the, off the record or off the radio, wherever you're hearing it, um, the amount of emotion is blinding. It's just, it just transports you. Yeah. And the other thing I was talking about the other day, I, I was doing an interview on some television show and talking about this sort of stuff. And my nephew, who's 15, my great nephew, um, is starting to play the guitar and showing a lot of interest in it. And, and I was saying to him, listen, don't think about, you know, trying to have a, a career in the music business. It's very, very difficult. You should probably just enjoy this as a hobby. But if you play the guitar every day uh, or you, you involve yourself in music that you're creating every day, whether it's covers or something you're writing yourself, you will have a friend for life mm. in this because of all the things in my life that have been constant, uh, the guitar is the one. In fact, I've had situations where I've had a lover who will be actually quite jealous of the time I spend uh, playing the guitar. <laughs> they want, I've been told, can't you put that bloody thing down and, and take me out to dinner? I'm just finishing a chorus. Leave me alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. situations like that. It's very but, true, though, because it's, you know, I speak to people often about that who say they want to play guitar, and I, I agree with you completely. That the comfort and the friend, and the, in a way... I don't know if it's like therapy or just the kind of playfulness of a child. That moment you spend with your guitar or piano, 
just playing and being with it, it is a it's a deep deep relationship isn't it it's, a, it's it a... is it's hugely primitive you you know where there is silence you are now making harmonious sound if you were if you're lucky <laughs> um i also think that each guitar like for me like you know i'm a um songwriting guitarist i'm not a, I'm, a, I'm not a guitarist first i'm someone who developed his guitar style through sort of uh trying to write songs so for, for me okay. the way i pick a guitar if i'm going to buy a new guitar or if i write a song is can i hold the hold it and i'll know quite instinctively after playing it for a minute or so will this guitar give me a song is it a oh okay is it a song giver or, no i understand or, that you know and some are and some aren't <laughs> it's kind of yeah, yeah. I mean, that's funny you funny you say that but I have now, um, I, I used to collect guitars at one point um, and had some absolutely wonderful guitars, but they were all sitting in a closet in my house uh, in, in LA. And I remember opening the closet door and, and looking at them and thinking, these are not doing me any good at all. They, they might be beautiful to collect, but they're not, I'm not displaying them. They're just tools that I, 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 that I like and they're great and all the rest of it. I took the whole lot out and sold them and bought really good recording equipment yeah. so that I could make better demos. And that was the smartest move thing I've ever made. So I yeah. don't really have a huge, I have, a, I have about 20 guitars, but only a few of them are real classics. Um, but you're right about when I would buy a new guitar, especially when I was younger, not so much now, I'm afraid, but when I was younger and I would get a new guitar, I would absolutely get a couple of songs out of it straight away. Just because, uh, just because you could. I don't know why. It's a strange one, isn't it? it is. Why it's, is that? Yeah, it's just that union, isn't it? And it's. I suppose. I mean, you know, not to overthink. Well, I'm going to overthink it because I'm a songwriter, and that's the point. But like, I think it's something <laughs> often to do with, with like the the relationship with the wood, and you know, this has come from a. From a tree, and there's some kind of like, I don't know. There's some sort of resonance in there somewhere which you relate to, but it's but it's um you know it's a very very fascinating relationship. I think the uh, songwriter with their or yeah. the with their instrument. Yeah, I have a uh, I have a couple of go to guitars. Um, uh, one of them, and you're right about the resonance. You know, here's an, here's something you might try, which I I I tried. I used to use this trick years ago. Is you you hold the, the the sound hole in front of your mouth, yeah, and you blow, you sing into the, you sing into the guitar just to any kind of note you like, and, and 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 move up through the scale until you find the resonant frequency of the body of the guitar because they all have one, yeah. you know, just like a playing a tapping on a bottle, there will be a, right. a resonance to it. You find the resonance frequency, and the the Martin that I ended up buying. 40 years ago, which is on all the records that I ever played in the acoustic guitar. Um, and it's not an expensive Martin, it's a D18, it's kind of uh, entry level, but it's so old it doesn't have a truss rod. But the resonant frequency of the body of that guitar is G. Okay. And so when you play a G, the whole thing just comes to life. Yeah. It's so interesting how the how, how harmonically it's it, it responds better than other guitars that are, you know, somewhere in between G and and F sharp, right? This, but this is actually G. Mm. Yeah. Uh, this kind of it sounds like a lot of mumbo jumbo, maybe, but no, I, I actually I find that it I find that it it was um, very helpful in picking out acoustic guitars. I tell you something when when um, 
my wife um, bought a Yari guitar uh, in a shop before, long before we met. And uh, I was signed to her brother's record label. So I walked into his office one day and this guitar was uh, on a stand and it caught my attention. And um, mm. this was before I met my wife and, and, and was called over by this guitar, I suppose. And I asked him if I could have a play on it. And he, and he respectfully said, no, it's my sister's guitar. So, um, you know, <laughs> anyway, years later, um, I meet uh, my wife and get married. And she, um, I suppose, gives me this guitar. It's the guitar that I wrote most of the songs in our band. We were in a band together that um, we uh, created most of the songs on that guitar. But the interesting thing I'm getting to is the... Because I was not a great musician and couldn't work out how to trans... I write a lot of songs with open chords and I couldn't work out how to transpose them because they were out of my range. So what, okay. I ended up, what I ended up doing in a really kind of crude way was thinking, well, I'll just detune the guitar, a semitone, a tone, and ended up going down to two tones. So it's like Ooh. the E Ooh. is a C. But this is a Yari Parler guitar and mm -hmm. it sounded sublime in that tuning oh. because of the oh, open wow. the open harmonics and it's been stuck in that tuning for 20 years and, oh, wow. and and it sounds sublime and if i put it into uh standard tuning it just doesn't sound as good and it doesn't sound it doesn't sing in the way it sings when it's two tones down which i know is completely the wrong kind of thing backwards thing to do as a, as a musician and probably hasn't yeah. been yeah. the instrument but the instrument has actually responded to that place and it sings um, so beautifully in that position. So it's interesting you said that. Maybe the uh, the resonant frequency of that uh, guitar is C. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting. Um, so when you come down to, just to move back to writing um, words, when, when you, because um, obviously when a melody comes, a melody comes, but there's a shape to a melody, I believe, which suggests words. But I read in an interview you said that sometimes the kind of lyrical side of thing is a bit like doing a crossword. So I've got two questions for you, really. It's like, how do, do you, well, the first question, is, are there any kind of songwriters or writers, novelists that have influenced your lyric writing? That's the first question. Um, um, well, as a writer, um, I'm, I've, I like C.S. Lewis. Oh, cool. um, the uh, he somehow he gets really to the core of the matter. The what's the, the screw tape letters? Did you ever read that? No, I didn't. No. Um, okay, uh, I I won't t bother telling you the plot of it. But he's he he writes so insightfully. Uh, that I that I really I like his phrasing, but I'm always looking for a, a phrase that hasn't been used. I'm, I'm trying to avoid cliches wherever possible. But I also had a, a so I, I made an album with a, a girl called Janice Ian who who uh, had a, a, won a Song of the Year Grammy um, many years ago for a song called At Seventeen, which yeah. was a really beautiful beautiful piece. I made an album with her. And she said something interesting. She said, if you have one great gem of a line that really resonates with the, the, the listener, you don't have to surround it with other gems. You know, just like if you go to a jeweler's, they'll have a black cloth on the countertop and they'll lay out the piece on this black cloth. So she says, think of the, 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 the surrounding lyrics as being the setup 
for this great line rather than competing with it so that it's so it doesn't overpower it. Lovely. I thought that was a great piece of advice. Great advice. Um, and um, so I do read a lot and uh, you know, the, okay, though, so this is probably the most important bit of information that I know how to impart to other people that are right, especially beginners. Fabulous. You, you have an antenna yeah. that is always switched on and always listening. It's like, uh, you know, it, it's, what have I got? it's like the Google's uh, nest that I've got in my house to switch the lights on and off, right? <laughs> which is listening to me now. You have... You have one of those, and it's always listening for a phrase or or a sentence or an idea, and it never switches off. So it might you might get it off of something on the television. You might overhear it in a pub. You It might be something you say yourself, and as you say, as it comes out of your mouth, you go, oh, yeah. there's a title, or there's a line. And then you, you, because we've all got iPhones, you scribble it down on your iPhone, yeah. Uh, and so you have a list of potential titles and ideas. This is so real life as it's going on around you is providing you with ideas and inspiration. And it's, it's so important. I, I, I've got, um, I use that, I, I use those ideas all, all the time. I mean, lyric writing is is slightly more difficult for me than, than uh, melody writing. Melody writing, I do like falling off a bike. But um, lyric writing can come quickly. I remember, you know, getting up in the middle of the night and writing most of a song just there and then. And I, and I, I was so pleased because it came in one great big uh, piece. And I wasn't even sure what it was about. In fact, I had to think about what it was about later or, or try and analyse what was I talking about. Um, and I think... Uh, uh, so I wrote a lot of songs with Bernie Taupin. I was in a band with Bernie Taupin, as you know, as Elton John's lyricist. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we wrote this song. Uh, he, the way we would work is he would come into the writing room uh, because we were making an album, when, uh, Robin of Missouri and myself, and Bernie would sit in this room of his ranch in Santa Inez, and he would come in with a sheaf of lyrics, maybe eight or ten lyrical, finished lyrics, or, or towards the tents and purposes finished. And he'd hand them to Robin and I, and we'd look through them, and we'd pick one at yeah. random. And one of them was called Cinderella 67. And uh, so we, we wrote this this pretty song. And after we it was done, and we put it on the record, and I, and I, I think I sang that one. And I said to Bunny, so... So, Bernie, what's the significance of the sixty-seven? He said, "Well, you wouldn't want to call it eighty-four, would you?" I thought, "What a bizarre answer, Cinderella eighty-four. He says it's the uh, it's the alliteration, Cinderella's sixty-seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and, uh, and there was loads of examples like that. He said that 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 some some place like Harvard or one of the the Ivy League University does a course on uh, and the and the analysis of Bernie talking lyrics. Wow! He said, he said, I haven't got a clue what it's about when I write it. <laughs> he, said, he said, I've got this great job. I just write stuff down. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and people seem to like it. And that's thought, 
It's so interesting, though, because if the alliteration is, is it, that's the answer. But just saying it, Cinderella's sixty-seven. It's like it's satisfying, isn't it? To say yeah, it. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. Uh, and, and it's the same with like uh, you know. I think when you get a master like Bernie or or yourself or whoever, like it's it's that combination of saying something interesting and it's sounding good. But then I guess the job is, like I said earlier, there is an architecture to melody which suggests a word. And um, you can't shoehorn a word in if the melody's not going to kind of case it well, you know. So it's yeah, that, yeah, yeah, it's that kind of balance of it sounding good, it making some kind of sense, or having an emotional resonance whilst it fits the melody casing. And in, like you said, I mean, it's fascinating to hear you talk because that stuff can just happen instantly without any thought, and then sometimes it takes a bit of thought, and then yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's a recipe. Yeah, sometimes it's Sudoku or crossword. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and other yeah. times it's not. Yeah, yeah. That, but, you know, I like that I'm learning from you this moment where you say that the melody suggests a lyric. I don't I haven't really thought of it that way, but I guess it does. I mean, the, it, it absolutely has to have the right sound. The, yeah. um, the Gershwin brothers, apparently, um, the, 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 uh, I think they used to call it monkey mumblings. And I do it all the time when I'm working on a melody. I just sing anything at all, any sound. It doesn't have to be a word. It's just, a, 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 it's not a la la la. It's any anything. But the, you'll find that the at the crucial point, it won't be an E sound. It'll be at the top of the melody. It'll be an R or an U or so the, the 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 vowel sound will be soft. Or, or softer, you know, you don't want to finish with E, the hardy E. Yeah. You, you, you can do it, but it's ill-advised. <laughs> it's so interesting because, I mean, just through my own process myself, and, you know, it's not any kind of special process, but one of the things that I would do or do do is, like the like you say, the melody or the guitar music, the, the initial shape of the riff or chords will come. Then what I will tend to do is go for a run, or walk and just hear it in my head and then oh, okay. that melody will I'll get into some kind of flow motion or it seems to happen best when I'm in some kind of flow motion and then oh. the, my brain will then listen to the melody and like you said it will be there'll be a vowel shape or there'll be a set of words which will fall in and if I get out of my own way enough whilst oh. I'm thinking about it in some hypnosis meditative state more often than not, a line will come completely formed lyrically and just land oh. in the melody. Like So it's kind of a process of literally getting out of the way and allowing the music to, to sort of repeat itself uh, subconsciously yeah. whilst kind of observing it, but not observing it too much. <laughs> oh, no, I listen, I, you're, you're, you put that beautifully. That's absolutely 100% right. And getting out of your own way is the reason that we're songwriters and people... Other people aren't. I mean, I I feel that anybody can be a songwriter. They're just going to get out of their own way, yeah, and that's yeah. that's what we do. We we allow the muse, the idea, the energy, any word you want to use, we allow it to flow through us. And that's uh, is it a gift or is it just a technique that 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 somehow we found easy to do. It's interesting because I think what I've learned, this is like my 16th or 17th uh, episode podcast and, and I've spoken to lots of different songwriters from different genres and levels of mm -hmm. success. And there are differences in approach and differences in obviously personality, but there's a lot of similarities. 
And yeah, sometimes okay. somebody will say something similar, which really resonates with the way you write a song yourself. Like yeah. what you're saying about rules. Um, for instance, when when I'm playing guitar or our band are in doing vocals or guitar, it's no more than three takes because you've lost it. So there's a resonance there with what you're saying about your process, which yeah. resonates with me. But one of the things that has, is, has become apparent is that all these different songwriters are a little bit different, not more special than anyone else, but there's a slightly different sense of perspective of how they look at the world, which is different from mm. musicians I've spoken to who are way better musicians than I am and uh, other creatives. You know, it's, there is a slightly different thing going on and it's not any more special. It's just a, so I think there is a kind of. I don't know, is it a gift or a choice and the craftsmanship we've learned? I, I obviously like to think it's a gift because we're all egomaniacs, but, the, but there is something which marks us out to be slight, <laughs> marks it out differently, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what, uh, somebody said to me the other day, well, I was saying, well, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, I just make it up as I go along. And they said, yeah, and you probably have imposter syndrome, don't you? And I went, oh, yeah. I'm mean, waiting for somebody to tap me on the shoulder and say, listen, Jim, you're really not very good. You know, you've been getting away with it for 50 years, but you're really crap. And it's, it's a, and I laugh about it now. I don't really think that anymore but it took me 30 years to be able to take a compliment somebody would say i love that thing you played and i go oh yeah and, and I, my my reaction um uh my silent reaction is um yeah but if i was really as good as you know django reinhardt you know it would be a lot better and and i couldn't see that in my own way i have an ability to uh reach people by playing the guitar i mean i i understand i have that it's not a matter of technique because it, it, you know the only thing i do sometimes is play with my fleshy part of my thumb which yeah. makes the guitar sound very round but that's about that's the that's about the biggest trick i've got the rest of it is don't play too much and follow the melody and when you're stuck as a songwriter let's say you've got the you've got the you've got a verse um and just trying to come up with a chorus, put the instrument down for a minute and follow the melody that you've got from the verse and then just launch into another note. Yeah. Just launch somewhere else. You know, and, and, and there's also the possibility that you can write a chorus that decrescendos so that you've got quite a ballsy chorus, a verse. But the chorus is all, is all soft and tender and it's the, it's the contrasts that are, are so useful. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, and that can be in the arrangement, or it can be written into the song. You know, that you would when you perform it just on a guitar, the chorus would be very delicate. Instead of you know, it has to be louder and bigger and higher and stronger and all that sort of pop. Uh, I pop suppose lore. the thing is, which is quite funny, because there is there is all this analysis, which is is very enjoyable to talk about with another songwriter. And then the other thing to say about it, like we, we touched on earlier, is, and you've been doing this for a long time and I've been doing it for a long time as well, but it's like, it's still just completely un understandable. It's a mystery. It is. A <laughs> you know, it's like you can study it, but like it's also completely got its own rules and it's a mystery and it will do what it wants to do when it wants to do it. And it's fascinating, you know, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. I, I, I love that. I love the process. I used to not like it so much when I was younger because I think I was afraid. 
Sure. I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to, you know, if you think you can't do it, then you probably can't. Mm. But if you think you can, you probably can. It's, it's pretty, it's yeah, pretty I obvious. I was listening to a slightly different subject last night, but I was listening to Matt Letizia talks the, the Southampton footballer talk mm-hmm. to a um, footballer pundit about um, about taking a penalty, and oh, yeah. they were talking about the concepts of bottling it. And he, uh, you, you know, so he was talking about one of the penalty takers he was friends with said that he once went to take a penalty and uh, as he kind of looked at the goal, he he thought the goalkeeper's too big. The goal looks too small. I'm oh, going yeah. to bottle this. I'm not going yeah. to score it. He went instead of ha- handing it over to his other players. He took it and bottled it. And I think what you, the reason I say that to you is because you've just said something about fear yeah. and you know, the idea of fear saying, "Oh, I can't do this." Will get in the way of the instinct. And something you oh, said, of course, so importantly earlier on was just not was having the bravery and courage to be naked in front of someone and just let the muse come through. And 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 that is who you are as a creator, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a funny, well, it's not, I, I, I wouldn't really call it funny, but I've got a, a story um, about a song I wrote with Steve Harvey yeah. that was eventually recorded by Rod Stewart, which was unusual because Rod has, is the only outside, completely outside song that of mine that Rod's recorded. Okay. Um, and it's a it's quite a it's quite a nice song. Steve did it as a a, a single some many years back. Anyway, uh, it's called um, a "Friend for Life." And so I was I was in living in LA at the time, and I uh, I was quite pleased with the way that the, the track turned out because we did it at Mike Batt's house with, uh, and he wrote the the string quartet arrangement, and it's a beautiful arrangement. It's really really good. He's a lovely arranger. Yeah. Anyway, so I take it into. Um, and my my publisher, this woman uh, at Warner's in in LA, and I said, I've got this song. Um, you know, it'd be nice to get a cover of it here in America because Steve Harley doesn't mean anything in America. Mm. And she listened to it, and she had a tear in her eye. She said, Oh, thank you for bringing that in. It's so beautiful. I love it. I love it. I'm going to get on the phone to Nashville now. And and she she forwarded the email off to Nashville to her off the Nashville office. And then we chatted for a while, and then she called the guy and said, so um, did you listen to the song? And he said, uh, oh, yeah, I listened to it. Yeah. He said, um, "He said it's really, it's a lovely song, so it hasn't got a chorus. And my heart sank. I thought, okay, so this is one of those guys. I said, it hasn't got a chorus guy. So I, he was on the speakerphone, and I said, so, um, okay, I, 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 hear your, I hear your point, but just for fun, would you please sing me the chorus of Maggie May? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Good point. Yeah, and that was the end of that the part of the discussion. I think he was pissed <laughs> off at me. <laughs> and it never came out in America other than on Rod's, uh, Rod's record. Fabulous. That's, a, that's the kind of shit you have to put up with. Um, you're dealing a, a lot of time with people who who are in positions of authority in publishing and, and in records and record executives who believe that because somebody's paying them a, a, a large salary that their opinion is actually worth more than yours and uh, of course there's a famous writer whose name I'm not going to think of for a minute who's a, um, is a Hollywood script screenwriter and he said uh, nobody knows anything so that's we just start there. Just start there because nobody knows anything. They don't know what a hit is. They don't know what a hit film is. They don't know what a great script is. They don't know anything. 
Yeah, I mean, that's... I, I find that sad but true. It is and true. based on that, I just keep going forward anyway at my own pace, doing what I feel like doing, and not taking any notes of them anyway. It's quite amazing how many um, uh, times there's been fundamentally massive, inspirational, emotionally resonant bodies of work, whether it be a book, a film, or a piece of music, where that would not have been made because the um, process or the the, the sort of uh, money men or the kind of label people didn't think it was very good and someone had to fight for that piece of art to be made. Yeah. It becomes a huge thing. And, uh, you know, had it been down to the people in charge and somebody hadn't been pushing it, it wouldn't have got made. It's uh, time and time again you hear stories like that. So you have to, as a writer or musician, sort of fight for yourself, don't you, sometimes? Yeah, well, uh, there was, uh, was there were a couple of stories along those lines. One was uh, Annie Lennox, who had that um, Grammy-winning album of the year with that yep. song Why on it. And yep. she handed it in to Clive Davis, who was the, the head of the label, and Clive Davis is a legendary annoyance. Right. He, uh, he he's a he's a very powerful man and and very vindictive and and mean spirited, quite honestly. And he said to her, he said, "Well, Annie, he said, you know, we'll put the record out, but it hasn't got a hope in hell. You know, it's a brave try, but you know, no cigar." And of course, he couldn't have been more wrong. It, yeah. it was it was the best record that year, yeah. and um, and the same thing happened with Tom Petty. Who brought his record in when he finished it to the, the to MCA, and they said, uh, "No, there's no hits on it, Tom. You know, you, you know, go back in the studio and cut four more." And he went and cut four more, and of course the hits were already on it. He put the the album out, and it had uh, um, "Rebel Without a Clue" and "Ventura Bullet." I can't remember. I can't remember. But so some of his greatest hits were on the record that he handed in to them, yeah, and they didn't see them, you know. But they. The, I mean, the arrogance of some A&R guy who's never written a hit in his life and, and was maybe a frustrated musician, but has no claim to knowing any better than, than, than the guy in the street, has the nerve to tell Tom Petty he doesn't know what he's doing. Now, that, to me, is infuriating and so wrong. Yeah. And the, 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 I liked it back in the old days when the record company, I mean, I was making albums when the record company never came down and said anything. They waited till you finished the record and, you know, the creative team finished, did all the work and gave it to the record company finished and said, uh, you know, you, you, you might want to have something to say about the running order, but we'd rather you didn't. And here it is. Now go and sell it. And they'd say, thanks, guys. You know, this is what we do. We sell records. You give them to us. We sell them. And, and that, I think, stopped having those, those, that business now with us, 10 songwriters. You know, somebody sat down and worked out the hi-hat part. <laughs> you know, I have no idea how, you know why they do that. I mean, decent movies being made, or hardly any decent movies being made, because everybody thinks we all want to see Galaxy, the you know, Guardians of the Galaxy number seventy-one. It's funny because there's a story about Noel Gallagher and Ray Davis being at a kind of award ceremony, and somebody winning. They were sitting next to each other, and somebody won Song of the Year. And they invited the songwriters to stage. And as they announced them, there was about 10 songwriters. And Noel looked to Ray and went, how on earth are, are 10 people writing a song like that? It's like, how, how's that happening? <laughs> it's a funny one. Anyway, Jim, we're nearly at the end of our time. So let me just ask you a couple more questions. The first one being, I just have to raise this because you are responsible for one of the greatest solos of all time. 
Come Up and See Me Make Me Smile by Steve Hyde and Courtney Rebel. Just give us a little kind of insight into what happened there, because I can't not ask you. Okay. Um, well, it was, uh, the track obviously was was cut and it was in pretty good shape. Um, it was about one in the morning. I'd had a couple of brandies, which was my drink of the day, and uh, of the evening rather. And uh, we were in Abbey Road, uh, Studio 2, I think the one with the control room upstairs. I walked down the stairs, there was a setup for an acoustic guitar. Um, I sat down and the first thing I played was and I played most of the solo in one go and then um, I, I didn't get the end right so I of course we we're working on a 24 track um, analog so I only had one other opportunity uh, where I could record a second second track, and then they would uh, they would uh, bounce them both together onto a third track. That was all you know. That's all we had left. And uh, so I had a couple of goes of getting the ending right, which I did. And so th that was it. And it was uh, you know it was uh, everybody said, oh that's all right, that's nice, tune well done, you know, I'll do. And and put my guitar away, went home. <laughs> was no, there was it's just exactly as we were talking about. Just get out of your own way. But that, I mean, it is like you said. It, these things happen. You were tuned in. You walked up. You had the you. You know, you just did what you did. Had the instinct. But, but I mean, as a as a piece of writing, that is one of the greatest things that ever ever, in my opinion, has ever happened in music. So uh, well done and thank you. Oh, Finally, my pleasure. first thank final you. question to you is um, a question uh -huh. I ask everybody, and it will change from day to day. I appreciate. But if you could have written any song which isn't a song you've written or been involved in. If you would have had the experience of having a song in your head or figuring out whose song, someone else's song from the great line of songs, what song would you wish you could have written yourself? Uh, probably Imagine. Very good answer. Why that? I thought that was a beautiful, absolutely beautiful uh, message. Yeah. And, uh, and that lovely simple piano motif. Yeah. Really, really good. Uh, I love that song. Yeah. But there's, I mean, there's, as you, as you quite rightly say, that could change. You know, walk out of the music room and, and uh, it, it, I, I could have thought of something else. But right off the top of my head, that's, that's a, a beautiful piece of work. Yeah, it is. That's one of the songs that is probably one of the only songs that will make me cry instantly. Mm. Stay with me, baby, by Lorraine Ellison. I don't even know who wrote that song, but. That's an, another, check that out if you don't know that. Stay With Me Baby, Lorraine Ellison's the singer. Don't even know who the writers are. Never owned the album. But yeah. if, you, if you want somebody to tear your heart out, that's that will do it. Fabulous. Jim, thank you so much for your time and for all your um, honesty and uh, guidance and advice about songwriting. I'm sure all our listeners will really enjoy this. And if you are not aware of Jim's songs, you probably are, but didn't know. Uh, go <laughs> to the website jimcregan.com and tune in and uh, get to know his work. He is he's a fabulous musician and writer. So thank you for your oh, time, Jim. Right. Many thanks for having me on your show. And it's been lovely talking with you. And I wish you great success with your own writing. And uh, we'll meet up one day on the road, I hope. <laughs>